This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the place. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm happy to be joined this week by a tired, uh, probably probably worked out, worn out, Brady Oltmans. Brady, hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, the biggest casualty of the week so far is I did not have time to go work out last night. But if, if that's my only real time constraint regret, um, I'm doing all right. How are you? <laughs> Man, you know, my wife and I were in, uh, were in Hawaii two weeks ago. And the day that we left, so not this past Monday, but the, the Monday before, to fly back, um, I was in an urgent care clinic in Hawaii, came back with the flu test came back negative. So I don't know what it was, but I was just like down for the count for like the entire week after we got back from Hawaii. And obviously, you know, like frequent listeners of this podcast will know that there was not an episode last week. I sounded like death, so I could not talk. We're slowly getting the voice back a little bit. We're slowly like not feeling like I want my, uh, I want to claw my throat out every time I try to speak. Uh, so we're getting there. We're getting there, but I am also tired because the early signing period opened and yeah. with it brings just a lot of nonsense, a lot of nonsense. There was a guy on, uh, early signing period opened on Wednesday. We're recording this podcast on a Thursday. There was a guy on Wednesday who committed to a team, basically sight unseen without seeing campus, without seeing coaches in person. And I, I looked at it and I was like, I mean, that's super cool. You're going to be in the portal in two years. Like you're going to be in the transfer portal in two years. And that was sort of the way that I spent a lot of my day yesterday, seeing all of this. It's really a day that has kind of turned into nonsense. Uh, the You know, this is, this is National Signing Day. Wednesday was National Signing Day. It started the early signing period. It's start of the early signing period but in all intents and purposes it's not it's signing day um nebraska signed 21 people on wednesday the bulk of the class so you know that look there will probably be a few stragglers here going forward as we as we close out this quote-unquote period and then move into february is that is that fair to assume there's going to be a couple more guys as we'll think they're done 
Um, I think that they're still waiting. Well, I know for a fact they're waiting on a couple of names, um, a couple guys that they got in for official visits or are in the runnings for for a signing of a letter of intent are going to announce their uh, decisions during the Under Armour All-American game on January 3rd. Uh, one of them would be Cameron Lenhart, the former Nebraska commit uh, who decommitted when Eric Janander was fired amid the coaching change and um, kind of seemed like Nebraska might have been off his radar uh, during the interim period of Mickey Joseph and then now the Matt Rule staff uh, is going back after him. And then they're they're making a strong play for um, Ethan Nation, uh, a good, strong uh, player. And because they just offered him right before last weekend and then got him in immediately and he seemed to enjoy himself. So we'll see um, there. That's, that's only the couple they're waiting on, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, the, the, the bulk of the work uh, was done on Wednesday. There's a rush to get these guys signed and there's a rush for some of these guys to sign and get these classes filled up early and, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with so many coaching changes around college football. Now, you know, you see, you see coaching staffs just completely change over more and more. Like these guys, um, sometimes you got to be in a situation where you have to potentially commit to a place that you haven't seen or a coaching staff that you haven't met in person. Um, and that makes that this this day, this period, just a little bit more interesting because I'm like, this feels, this just feels like a little too much nonsense for my liking, and kind of like, you know, some of the some of the transfer movement that happened on Wednesday sort of, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but for me personally sort of stole the show. I mean, Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders going to Colorado. Um, that was a big move. Um, it, you know, it was expected, but it finally happened. Right. And yeah. Nebraska got a couple of transfers itself. Nebraska signed Jeff Sims from Georgia tech. And I think that's where I want to start. Nebraska brought in a quarterback from the transfer portal. What'd you make of that decision? Um, I'm not at all surprised. And I think that it, it's, well, first of all, um, Matt Rule is familiar with Jeff Sims. Um, he comes from a similar lineage. He and Jeff Collins go way back. So when Matt was in the NFL and coaching the Carolina Panthers, his Saturdays would be a lot more open than they would have typically otherwise been. And he said um, during his signing day press conference that uh, he would watch Georgia Tech games to support Jeff Collins, their friends. And by doing that, he got to see Jeff Sims a lot. And he liked the way Jeff Sims played. He's a good athlete. Um, he is a lot more mobile on his feet, but still keeps his, his eyes up. Um, on stats, his well, his stats don't pop out as much as uh, Casey Thompson's do. Um, I think part of that is you could, I think a normal person could say uh, Casey had a little bit more talented uh, support staff uh, of people around him than uh, Jeff did down at Georgia Tech. But also, it's I believe the coaching staff communicated with Casey that they were going to go to the portal or get a, a quarterback in uh, through high school or JUCO in order to build depth, basically, in, because they saw the the chasm between QB1, QB2, slash 3 last year. And in order to compete in Division One football, you, you can't have that chasm. It's got to be a little bit more of a bridge, and there's they, there can't be that significant drop-off. And um, Casey seemed receptive of that. He is um, working out in Oklahoma City, last thing I knew, um, working out that shoulder because he is having it, uh, to undergo shoulder surgery in the offseason here um, to get ready. So it's 
it's it's interesting, and I think they're still interested in Malik Hornsby, the former Arkansas quarterback, to maybe get two court, portal quarterbacks in, but it's definitely not as much of a need now that they have Jeff Sims. Um, but it was communicated all around, and um, it, both to KC, the coaching staff, and the Sims, that they this is a move not of a, yeah, you're our number one starter right away. This is a, we want to get you in if you can redshirt, because he does have a redshirt year. Um, great but buy into the process long-term because they, they just want to build depth first and foremost and make it a competitive position. We've seen a bunch of first-year coaches both last year and then, you know, even more so this, this cycle who have gone into their first, you know, like what we call week zero, like week zero, even though it's not really the first, you know, even, even though it's the first week, we, should we call like, the recruiting class for a coach that takes over a new job in December, like that immediate first recruiting class, should we call that like year zero on the recruiting trail? Whatever we want to call it. We've seen a bunch of coaches go with this and they will lean heavy on the transfer portal as opposed to bringing in a bunch of high school kids to sort of plug gaps, to sort of fill out depth, to sort of assess areas that they feel that they're a little bit too exposed on their depth chart on the two deep whatever nebraska did not do that nebraska went the opposite direction this is a 21 man high school signing class they have six transfers but you know like contextually like that's a small transfer class were you surprised at all that this is a, a more high school leaning class than it is a transfer class uh not especially um i might have i think I can't remember. I might have told you this um, just in passing um, a couple of weeks ago, but I think Matt Rule and to some extent myself kind of views the transfer portal more as um, MLB free agency um, and signing period. You can't build your team based upon it, but you can say uh, we we got an opening here or there's a gap to fill here. You know, like um, I'm a Royals fan, so I go back to you get a Ben Zobrist or you get somebody to fill out your rotation, but you're not going to you know build your entire a team based out of the the transfer portal. Um, Nebraska got a lot of transfer portal guys last year, and that's just not how Matt Rule is going to operate. He he's a developmental guy. I mean, that's the the buzzword around him. And in order to do that, you need as many years as possible. So they're going to get the high school guys and get them in and try to keep them in. And he communicates that with them. Um, you could see a lot of departures next year. Potentially you could, because guys might not see themselves in his system, but he has made it very obvious and has communicated clearly to them, the expectations. And if they're not cool with sitting or if they're not cool with being a developmental prospect, they'll, they'll leave. Um, but it's not because he sold them a false bag of goods here. Um, guys like, um, Corey Collier, uh, chief boarders, um, those are guys that I, yeah, they're, they're portal guys, but they, they both redshirted one year and then they played predominantly special teams that, that um, last year at Florida. And I think they, they can both take on similar um, larger roles, similar to one another in larger roles in Nebraska's offense or sorry, in Nebraska's defense, what they want to do, how they match up against opposing offenses. So that's going to be, that's, that's the interest to me. Um, Marco Ortiz, long snapper, they, they lose Brady Weiss, get in a good long snapper um, to, to Brady Weiss's credit. We didn't really talk about the snaps and Brian Buschini had to, to punt a lot last year um, and snapping was never an issue. So I guess you got a, um, a, a tall order uh to get in a good portal snapper there yeah the um if you just go by composite ratings 
the top transfer Nebraska got was Elijah Judy from Texas A&M. And that was a, a signing day commitment. What did you make of that one? Well, he's one of the guys that they brought in initially offered and then they got him in right away for an official visit. And I think there was a lot of buzz around. He really was receptive to his visit. He was receptive to the coaching staff and, you know, people automatically rallied and thought, yo, almost a five-star guy that Nebraska's getting in from A&M. They recruit as good as anybody kind of thing. And um, I don't, he has the potential to play right away and to make an immediate impact. But I see him also as a guy who, if they need to, will just, you know, cut his teeth. He's, he's lateral, he's quick. He's all, but he's smart and intelligent in his in his edge moves and then able to get around guys. Uh, that's what excites me the most is he's a really cerebral thinker. Mm-hmm. And I wonder um, Terrence Knighton not really having the uh, big time mm-hmm. college football coach pedigree on his resume. I'm kind of curious to see what he does with it because Elijah Judy could be a, a, a pretty darn good player in this this team. Let's switch over to the high school class. Everybody has their favorite from the class who's your favorite well the one that jumps out right away is prince will um umami ellen he's uh he's just a a guy <laughs> you know he's just a football guy he's got good size he flows laterally i like his i like his eye for the ball he takes great pursuit angles and he's not just taking pursuit to get the guy wrapped up he's going with you know squaring up on their shoulder pads he's going for the numbers um that's the kind of internal motor and the kind of um, cerebral defensive edge nature that you can't really teach your coach. He's, he's got it right away. So I'm curious to see what he can do in this defensive system with a, a very competitive position around him. Four guys from Texas in this class. The, the Texas pipeline is back, man. We got eight from Nebraska. We got four guys from Texas. The Texas pipeline is back. Welcome oh. back, Matt Rule. You fixed the one thing that was broken by the, uh, the move from the Big 12 to the Big 10 would have thunk it we just needed a coach from texas to fix it well and well that's another curious thing he's got that texas five but also if you look at it and even just the future classes they've got that jersey that philly um they're getting guys from florida um uh with dwight boodle coming in now but they've also got you know future prospects from florida and they're offering kids from california and uh vegas and utah they're it is a national footprint that they're trying to make with this uh, recruiting staff. So it's, it, I think that's, that stood out to me um, on Wednesday and beyond. What about Malachi? Let's talk about Malachi a little bit, because this was a commitment that Nebraska was not in. And then the coaching change happened. Mickey Joseph is inserted as the interim head coach. Then Nebraska makes up a ton of ground with Mickey Joseph there. Malachi commits. Mickey Joseph is out. Matt Rule is in. Malachi backs off that commitment. Colorado made a really late push here. A, I mean, a bunch of people made a late push. Like, this is a national prospect. Everybody wanted this kid. Nebraska is able to hold on. Were you, were you at all surprised by, I, I guess, the closing speed with which Matt Rule made Malachi feel comfortable about the, the direction of this program? But not only that, but just like his staff, because this was – you know, this was not a staff that Malachi was prepared to 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 deal with in Nebraska, and for a time he was completely like turned off by Nebraska. Um, so were you surprised by the the quickness with which they were able to, to sort of get in here, build that relationship, and get this thing wrapped up? To some extent, I am. Um, I think the way Matt Rule approaches recruiting and approaches 
like he approaches recruiting the same way he approaches life, which is just to build those fundamental fundamental relationships and talk to you on a more granular level. I mean, he's going to talk to you about who you are, what you like. Um, he's going to be honest and direct with you, and he's not going to he's not going to give you a sales pitch. He obviously does have a pitch. I mean, you you listen to him talk, and he's very he's a very good public speaker, and he's good at selling Nebraska. But at no point do you think he's disingenuous about it. I mean, I completely I completely believe everything that he's saying and and his earnestness in saying it. And I think one thing I kind of learned covering Malachi to to uh, to a certain extent during his recruiting process was that that appeals to him. He wants he's he's the number two athlete in the country and a four-star composite athlete. Everybody wanted him, you know, any program in the country would have, would have gladly welcomed him in. It was his, what are you going to do for me beyond this? You know, like what's talk to me more about than just football, you know, kind of thing. And Matt rule said that what stood out to him was how great of a person he is, what he does with his nonprofit work. Now the people he reaches out to that he loves to make other people's lives better. And I thought it was kind of interesting that um, after, cause it was kind of close there. And I thought, you know, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if he went to Colorado at all. And when he came back from Colorado um, I think it was, I think it was Dave and Hall from, from Bell West was in playing ping pong. And then they, they talked and then, Malachi came over to the stadium after his visit to Colorado to play ping pong with, with Matt rule. And then Malachi was like, Oh, tweet this out and gave him a couple of those emojis to like tweet out. And then Malachi hits him back with it. And I think that made Husker fans be like, maybe, maybe he's still in, maybe it's still happen kind of thing. Um, that's a cool relationship. And that's a cool uh, humanistic thing beyond football. Um, that stood out to me about that. So um He's he's a good athlete. They they want to start him out at receiver and see kind of where he gets at in uh, college development, uh, weight program, nutrition, all that stuff. Um, so he could be all over the field, but they're they're excited to have him. The other sort of um, the the big piece of both the signing day press conference and then the class that that stood out to me. I want to get your thoughts on was they've got they they get four offensive linemen in the group, all four of them are from the state of Nebraska. Um, at his press conference, Matt Rule sort of pushed back on the narrative that the offensive line was a, a dumpster fire, that Donovan Rayola shouldn't have kept the job. Um, seems to like Rayola. He liked the, you know, I was reading your your recap from him. You've got a little note in there that he liked the player response to Rayola, which is always a big thing. Um, I, I guess when you look at, at this offensive line hall for the 2023 class, it, it, it sort of gives the impression to me that it is definitely more of a developmental group as opposed to looking at a group that you're going to say, well, this guy's going to walk in right away and, and push for, for immediate like starting role. Um, do you, do you agree with that? And I, I guess, you know, if that is the case, then, you know, you, you sort of view this offensive line, this offensive line coach as, as a guy that has some pretty good pieces already. Do you get that? Do you do you get the sense that that's the way that Rule thinks about this offensive line? Well, I think he does. Um, I think he sees this as more of they got the guys in right now and don't expect um, Brock Knutson or Gunner to play right away. 
um, they're, these are guys that they're going to get in that they think very highly of that can develop and grow into that role. Um, but he, I, and I tend to, I tend to agree with him that I think that there are bigger factors at play than just the offensive line was bad. I think that that's kind of a, a cop out and an easy thing because, um, there, it was a new st- It was a new offensive staff for a lot of ways. They brought, they wholesale shifted and changed things ahead of Frost's final year. What turned out to be his final year, and I am still of the persuasion that 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 it was meant to um, to move Nebraska forward and to kind of um, adapt with things. But at the very same time, those moves were made for Scott Frost to in attempts to save his job. And what became very evident in week three or I guess week two um, because of the week zero game is that didn't work. And then they were not going to waste another week on Scott Frost. And then what happens? You basically have, you know, a lame duck coaching staff go through an entire year and, um, and Mickey Joseph in the interim focused on junior college offensive linemen because they wanted guys. And he kept saying, we need to recruit better. We need to do this. And he wanted guys that could play right away. He wanted to focus on guys that could, get in in the trenches right away and make an immediate impact. Um, I think that Matt rule sees what he has now on offensive line and thinks that um, they're, they're going to build them up. They have the guys that they, they have the guys right now that can be good enough. They're going to definitely coach them up and push them because that is one thing that Matt rule does. He pushes everything. He's an aggressive guy. He likes to, to push his coaching staff and they like to, to push their players in practice and get the the best out of them. Cause that's how you develop guys. Um, and I think that that's, that's what you're seeing out of this group is it is a, a long-term vision, but he, he, there's, there's also some overlap there with, with Rayola. And I think even just talking about like, they come from the similar philosophy of offensive line play and Matt rule does have history uh, as an offensive lineman and, and is well-versed in that arena. So that was interesting to me to hear that, but then he's also a very personable guy and believes in players and cares about what they think. And for players to, to stand up and say something uh, in support stood out to him. And then also the fact that Rayola just kept coming to work, kept recruiting, kept doing things like he was just like, there was no threat to his job whatsoever during the coaching change. And I think that kind of stands out a little bit now in 2022 as an oddity. And, and I think work for him in the, in the long run. Man, what would happen if you're an assistant coach on a staff, your head coach gets fired, a new coach gets named? What would happen if, like, you were just like, I'm not going back to the office. I'm just going to stay on the road. I'm going to stay recruiting, recruiting, but I'm going to be on the road, and I'm not coming back to the office. And you can't find me, and you can't get a hold of me because I'm recruiting for you, recruiting for you, (laughs) but you just can't get a hold of me. Like, what would happen in that scenario? Like, would the coach just be like, I mean, I guess we got to keep this guy. We can't. You know, we can't we can't get him on the phone to fire him. We can't get him on the phone to tell him he's not coming back, and he's not coming back. So I guess he's just on our staff now in perpetuity. I mean, isn't that kind of what happened with Brian Harson this time last year? He went down to Mexico, and they couldn't <laughs> couldn't get a hold of him. But he's he's the coach that went out for a pack of smokes and never came back. You know, I feel like I feel like <laughs> if you're an assistant coach to take that route, it might be fruitful. It I, might that's that you know that would I feel like that'd be one of those like all or nothing. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to work for you or it's going to end very poorly for you. Um, no, no, look, I don't want to like, I don't want to make it seem like Nebraska went out and they're like, we don't need anything on the offensive line uh, with immediacy because they did take a swing at, you know, the top, one of the top offensive linemen in the transfer portal right. missed on that guy. He went to Oregon. Um, 
you know, we'll see what happens after spring ball. There'll be another window that opens up in the transfer portal. And probably a handful of players will jump in and we'll see, you know, but at that point you've got a better understanding and a better picture of what you have on the offensive line. Cause you were just able to go through spring ball. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but it, it was interesting because I don't, I don't think, you know, it, I don't think any of these four guys that they just signed are going to immediately start next year on the offensive line. And so that means that what you have with Riola, what you think you have with Riola, and what you think you have in that offensive line room already is going to have to be enough because their offensive line play has not been enough for however many years now, like a long time now. Um, so that was another thing that stood out to me. What about, you know, let's, let's just go general from his press conference. What were, what were some sort of key takeaways that you had? I'm listening to him talk and, and he gets asked, um, how, how do you, how do you sort of show kids that Nebraska is the place to be? Like, how do you convince this generation of recruit that Nebraska is the place to be? And his response was very plain and the perfect response, by the way, which was we got to win. That's how you show people that Nebraska is worth coming to. You have to win football games. I thought that was good. Um, and then he had another moment in the press conference where, you know, he, he I don't remember what the question was, but he, he essentially says every guy on the team is his guy. There's been so much in, in, the, in the coaching changes that Nebraska has experienced over the last decade, whatever it's been, where it's been, well, he's got to get his guys. We did this so much with Scott Frost. We got to get his guys in. He's got to get his guys in. And Matt Rule came in from day one and said, and this could possibly be just like talking points from a coach who knows that the fan base is going to eat this kind of a comment up. Um, but he said it. And if he's saying it publicly, like I get the same sense as you that Matt Rule is not like a snake oil salesman. He's If he's saying stuff publicly, I would imagine he's probably saying it to his team as well. Every guy is my guy was his response. Every guy on the team is my guy. Um, I thought that was interesting as well. As you were sort of listening to him talk, what were some – some takeaways that you had when you walked away from it? Um, like you said, that, that kind of stood out. Um, I think that kind of put to bed anything about the there's division or whatever. I mean, he, again, he is who he is. I mean, he's very open. Um, will be as transparent as possible. He is honest and direct with people. That's, that's the way he, he deals with coaches. That's the way he deals with the media. That's the way he deals with recruits, you know, and uh, for the last 25 days now at time of recording that I've, talk to people about him or asked about him for stories and just to get background and even high school coaches in Philadelphia and in Texas and here in Lincoln and Omaha, what are your reactions about him? They'll say the same thing. I mean, he's, he's honest. He delivers upon what he says. He's direct. He doesn't tell you what you think you want to hear. He tells you the truth and he tells you his intentions and he does everything that he can to stick to him. Um, so that stood out. I think the offensive line um, comments really stood out to me. Um, I think the overlying theme that we found out to maybe even circle back to the offensive line was the in-state talent. Uh, it's one thing that even I think Ed Foley said throughout the day, um, EJ Barthel touched on it. There's a lot of good in-state talent that I think at, at a certain point, not surprised, but validated this coaching staff they like to build those connections and reach out to people and there's a lot of good in-state talent they ended up not getting a couple of guys that they would have liked to have gotten um they matt rule admitted as much he said we didn't get everybody but the guys that we got in they like and that they believe in and i i completely believe him i know that they tried really hard to get benny i know that they tried to put together a recruiting package of 
how, like approach and a, a, an idea, a strategy to pull off the heist of the century and get Zane Flores. Um, he signs with Oklahoma State. I just, yeah, I, I didn't think that that was really even a possibility, but it's a testament to Matt Rule and his staff that says, hey, we're going to we're gonna build a plan and we're going to try to get this guy kind of thing because that's, that's what they do. They're, they want to be yeah, aggressive. Yeah, they're a package. What kind of package? What was they, included in that package? No, you get yourself in trouble here. I know. By package, I meant they they had a they had a plan for multiple assistant coaches to go to Gretna and to talk with Mason Goldman and Zane, have a different assistant coach come in. They were um, they they were even potentially going to just like go talk with coaches at the rewards banquet night to try to like gauge the room and see how. You know, is he leaning towards Nebraska? Because just leave the door open a little bit. That's all they need kind of thing. Um, and it was pretty much conveyed as at that time, as it was to me kind of throughout the season, that Zane was pretty set on his commitment to Oklahoma State. Uh, that comes to fruition. But they were able to seal the deal on Mason Goldman. Um, he was a guy that wasn't really approached by the re- former recruiting staff. And until I think Mickey Joseph and his staff in the interim offered him in October to get a good push. And then uh, Matt Rule's staff uh, closed that deal, but they lost um, uh, Ben from Pierce um, over to Iowa State as well. Um, and then I don't, I think they met with, um, with Cade from Norfolk Catholic that went down to Oklahoma, but I don't think that that was really ever really a possibility to get him to flip. So um they, they feel strongly about the in-state recruiting talent, not only uh, of the 2023 class, but 2024 and 25. And then Matt Rule said, um, any kid that is, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade in Nebraska should be able to, to see themselves on the field and say, I can do that too. Um, again, he knows how, he knows what will get this fan base rallied up, but I, I believe him a hundred percent when he says it, because um, I, I think that he knows that that's kind of, what built Nebraska before he's a football historian. Um, so he wants to bring that back and, and hopefully the the national prominence comes with it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, you're, you're talking about the way that, that Matt rule is viewing in state recruiting right now. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Scott Frost and the way that he talked about in state recruiting, like early in his tenure and just thinking about how, you know, some of these situations where Nebraska was fighting hard at the end of this cycle to close on kids um, and couldn't ultimately get it done had a lot to do with sort of not laying enough groundwork early on. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it'll just be interesting to see how this evolves. Uh, you know, that's, that's, I think that's the, I, I, this is the biggest time of year for a head coach. Like this is the most important time of year for a head coach, particularly in this day and age of college football. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm, feel free to disagree with me, um, but I, it'll just be curious to see. Like, I think Nebraska's class is 28th in uh, the composite rankings on 247. Um, if you want to win a Big Ten sh- championship, particularly when USC and UCLA get to the Big Ten. That's not enough. That's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough to be 28th in your, in your composite ranking. Now you can develop kids and put kids into the NFL draft, but you're going to have to win some major battles. You're going to have to win a lot more battles like the the one that they won with Malachi Coleman. Those kids cannot leave. Um, And you're going to have to win some of these things that Nebraska just like 
wasn't in and fought really hard at the end to try to get into, you're going to have to be in those battles going forward. And that's, I, you know, that I think that's the thing that, that I'll just be um, most interested to see how things go with Matt rule is how does this sort of, how does this piece of it, how does it grow? 28th is a good starting point. Now, how do you grow from there? How do you build from there? And how do you keep stacking better classes on better classes on better classes to get to where you ultimately want to go? Because I don't think you're going to be winning Big Ten championships if you're stacking, you know, top 30 classes. It's probably got to be top 15, top 20. Yeah, and I I mean, he is a developmental guy. He likes the development or he likes to develop players. I think all of his coaches have that similar idea. And part of that, that, the glory in that is like the Eric Fields type guy where they are under the radar recruits, maybe catch a a three star, like, you know, Bryce Turner at the end, who just are guys that they can bring in and are develop and are under the radar. And by, but inherent with that is, you know, uh, kind of the antithesis of getting big star recruits. Uh, They were able to get that, but to his point about winning, you win, you prove that the formula can work, that that's a good buy-in for kids. Um, and I think that, that that makes En-ROADS with kind of gaining where they are, you know, on recruiting. Show kids, because it is like a, give me proof of concept. Show me, you know, I can believe your message, but show me it works. And, yep. you know, that they need to see that. Also, is Matt Rule kind of, he said it on the um, signing show on Huskers, uh, the radio network, and then said it again, kind of the, the we're going to do everything the right way. Because I've seen some, you know, with, NIL or with tampering and other college coaches do it. And this comes days after Jeff trailer said the same thing, like when calling out and like tagging in a tweet and like, we need to solve this need to do this. Um, again, I don't think he's disingenuous when he says that. I think that there is like a little bit of, you know, backdoor politics and college football faint shock face. Can you believe it? You know, kind of thing. But like, I don't know about you, man, but, name names otherwise this thing's not going to end like i know you don't want to be that guy that narks on a fellow coach but like if you want to put an end to this call it out and like point to it as evidence you know if i mean crying out loud we want to act like this is the end all be all of college football but we're not like we're not just like smu didn't just put a gold a gold trans am on a recruiting you know send out with both eric dickerson and um and eric or craig james you know like this is this has been how it's been um but if you really want it to stop you know put your foot down am i wrong in this are you no i don't i don't think you're wrong i see so i we we both saw obviously i'm assuming we both saw pat narduzzi come out and say that drake may got offered five million dollars to leave north carolina right he's like i know who did it but i'm not naming names my initial reaction to that was was I, I didn't I didn't I didn't care as much about because there's the quote at the end where he was where Narduzzi essentially said this is a sad sad deal the kids are getting this money and people got super upset about that I didn't necessarily care about that because we know that that's how, how Narduzzi and a lot of other coaches by the way feel about name image and like this it doesn't surprise me anymore um Dabo Sweeney said he would t- retire if players start getting paid like that's just the way some of these coaches think the the thing that was more interesting to me is the I know who did it I'm not naming names though. Yeah. Why? Why? Why are you not naming names? Because you and I, it, you know, your initial reaction is if you want this to stop, start naming names. That's my initial thought as well. That's, I, I would assume, like most people's 
thinking on this. Well, if you wanted to stop, start naming names and then it'll stop. So I would assume that coaches also know if we start naming names then it probably doesn't get done with the frequency that it's allegedly getting done now. So then why aren't you naming names? Are you afraid that somebody else will start dropping your name? Yeah. Why aren't you naming names? Because you don't want it to stop? Or because you're lying. And I think he's lying about the number. I don't think it's, I don't think that's real. I don't think the number's real. I think we just got a lot of coaches that have sour grapes and are blowing things out of proportion. I don't think that's real. If you offered Drake May $5 million, Drake May would play at freaking South Florida. Like Drake May would play at some dumpster school for $5 million. Are you kidding me? He's not staying at North Carolina if he gets multiple offers for $5 million. Are you kidding me? He's a college kid. Well, like, like, come on. Like, like Jake, I, <laughs> Jake Dickert from Washington State that's like, can you believe that they're trying to poach guys? And it's like, really, Jake? Tell me where you got your quarterback, bud. <laughs> like, like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, where, like, why, you know, all fairness to Eric Morris, who ran a pretty good offense at Incarnate Ward, but Eric Morris gets the offensive coordinator job at Washington State, and then the quarterback – at Washington State gets pushed out the door for another quarterback that just came from Incarnate Word. So, like, I just think that, one, every single coach is doing this. Or, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where, like, anytime somebody gets gets super upset about something that's allegedly happening, like, we have to stop this. It's like an admission of guilt, basically. There's like that theory. I think every coach is doing what they're alleging other coaches are doing. And that's why they're not naming names because they know that eventually it's going to come right back around to them. And I also think that there's just so much exaggeration going on. Like, I don't believe that number at all. $5 million for Drake Bay. I think that's baloney. I don't believe that number at all. Yeah. Well, or, or it's like that, the little scuff up that happened like in April with um, Saban and, um, and Jimbo where like, I, <sighs> I think maybe in Saban's comments, he might have been taking a, a stab at Jimbo, but not nearly as much as he was addressing the room. He was telling the Alabama boosters or whoever that, like, we need to get our act together because this is a real thing. You can fight it and think however you want yeah. philosophically about name, image, image and likeness, but the, the train's going to leave the station. Yeah. And if you want to continue, you know, the dynasty that Alabama football is, you better be on that train. Otherwise, it's going to take you a while to, to catch up. You know, um, I, 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 I would agree with you that I think this is a lot of it does get blown out of proportion like everything does anymore. There's and there's a lot of finger pointing to go around with it. But I I don't know. It's just this is college football. Like it is what it's always been. You know, like it's just a different thing. It's 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 the similar issues of tampering guys offering money for this player and we can't keep up in it. They're trying to, to poach and do all this. Like, yeah, well that happened back in the seventies, you know, that happened back in the eighties. Here we are 50 years later and it's, it's still a shocking new issue with all of these things. Like I, yeah, I, but it would be scandalous if they name names though. Right. <laughs> it would, it would be, it would be. Yeah. Because it would just blow up into this whole, because everyone does it and it's kind of, Similar to like Ryan Day got asked at his signing day press conference about like committed players being recruited by other teams. And he's sort of like, you know, I, I didn't watch the press conference. I just saw the tweets from what he said. And the, the tone of the quotes that I read 
gave off the impression that he was whining about his players getting poached by other schools because that didn't used to happen. And I'm like, you, you're at Ohio State because of Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer was brought to Ohio State almost exclusively to do the thing that you're now whining about. <laughs> yeah, We wouldn't have the the uh, the recruiting environment in the Big Ten that we currently have if not for Urban Meyer. So, like, maybe you should not be the one lamenting committed players being recruited by other teams, Ryan Day. Um, but it's sort of the same thing because, you know, like, I didn't, it's just – the NCAA has no spine and no real like enforcement power in anything. And so if coaches want something specific to stop, they have to kind of be the ones that stop it. And so like, if you're a head coach and you, you don't want to see committed players recruited by other teams, you want to see commitments honored then you kind of have to put that into action yourself. You have to not like lose your quarterback and then go take another team's quarterback. And if you want this NIL situation to sort of stop bleeding into recruiting, then you kind of have to be the change agent yourself. You need enough coaches that are going to do that. And I just think that everyone is doing it. So I don't think anything's going to happen, which is the real like pessimistic view on my point. But like, you know, it, it just, it benefits too many people for them to be like, yeah, I mean, we're getting this guy, so I, I can be annoyed and I can express fake outrage uh, at my my bully pulpit, but then I'm not actually going to name anybody, so nothing actually changes. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing Matt Rule's coaching staff is, I don't want to say shameless at doing, but one thing that they will do is just they will they don't care if a kid's committed elsewhere. They will recruit that kid and try to flip that kid as much as they can. Now, I know that there are coaching staffs out there that – are not fans of that they said this kid's committed to me like you he's already committed why are you bringing him in for an official visit doing that all this is completely legal and is done all the time but like um the first scholarship offer matt rule made at nebraska was made the day that he was announced not introduced announced was a kid from the district who was committed to virginia tech um, they brought in Kyron Jones. They signed Vincent Carroll Jackson on signing day, who was committed to Syracuse. Now, granted, they also brought in Syracuse's defensive coordinator that um, worked with them. It's, you know, it's an evolving thing, but they're, they're aggressive on the recruiting trail, and they do, there are people who don't take too kindly with that. But it's also, again, completely legal. And it's one of those like weird, like the, again, the baseball thing of like, it's an unwritten rule. You don't go after another, you know, commitment or you don't go after another school's commits. And it's like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, are we just going to no, make up these rules? Come on. See, college football is like Michael Scott when they're on the boat. And Michael Scott says BFD, engaged, ain't married. That's college football. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> engaged, ain't married. That's college football. You're not signed until you're signed. Basically, the approach that every single coach takes, um, unless you are Dabo Sweeney and you built your program on God's name, image, and likeness, then you have, uh, you, you know, you, you have a higher moral compass than the rest of us, and uh, and your program is going to continue to to churn along without doing anything wrong. My favorite part of that is he clearly thought of that. 
two and a half years ago and was just waiting. He had man, he was so excited. And you see that smile on his face, and I'm like, come on, yeah, come on. He he looked like that kid that was like, oh, you know, a PlayStation would be really nice, and then snuck into his parents' room to see the PlayStation. He's like, I'm gonna be so excited when I on Christmas when I open this, and he's like, a PlayStation, wow. It's like, come on, (laughs) you can. You could see it on his face where Dabo was like, I'm about to drop the best line of the day. They're yeah. going to love this. They're absolutely going to love this. And he was just so giddy to share this line that absolutely, I 100% agree with you. He thought of that like years ago and has had it written on a little notepad, just waiting for the perfect time to bring it out. Yeah, 100%. He was like, you you just tell, he was like, oh, they're not even ready for this. They're not even yeah. ready for this. This is going to steal headlines. And yeah, then he gets yeah. dunked on for 12 hours straight. He's like Meek Mill that came up with that line, like cash turned my, my noodles into pasta. He's like, I think that this is going to kill him. I think this is going to be, this is going to drop the game here. And, and then, yeah, it's just the internet just dunking on it for 12 hours. I am so happy that we can close this podcast on a note of dunking on Dabo Sweeney. I think that, that should be a, a, a routine. We just got to close every podcast out with, with, uh, dumping on Davos Sweeney. I think that'd be there's plenty of material for it to be quite honest we can do it in every episode if we wanted to um, but Brady you've got work to do you got a bunch of stuff that's going up on hailvarsity.com there's going to be stuff in the magazine coming soon you're also doing other podcasts now too you've been on a bunch of different shows of late you know like the, like the last 48 24 hours like you've been on multiple podcasts uh, so yeah. people can find Brady's work in a lot of places make sure you're going to hailvarsity.com Make sure, make sure you're subscribed. Go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the promo code varsity. Make sure you get everything taken care of right before the holidays. It's good. It's a good Christmas gift. Um, if you're still like looking for a Christmas gift, you know, it's Thursday when we're recording this. Hopefully you're listening to this on the 23rd. If you still need a Christmas gift, Hill Varsity, guys, it's a perfect gift for, for the Husker fan in your life. Brady, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was good to catch up with you, man. Yeah, always a good time, man. Appreciate it. Shouts to, to Brady for coming on this episode this week. Shouts to you guys for listening every week. Shouts to Cam for producing this episode. And uh, and, and we will be back next week, assuming there are uh, no other flu bugs that trash my system for a week. Thanks, guys. A Huda Media Production.